Hi, I'm Kristen. And I'm Mike. And we're lost in the Sunnydale stack. Sunnydale Stacks, where every other week we immerse ourselves in the world of Sunnydale, California, and review two episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. This week, we're dusting off the puppet show and nightmares. All right, so this week we got a question on Facebook Mm -hmm. from our listener, Ted. Hi, Ted. Ted wants to know that for new fans of Buffy... You know, in the first episode, I mentioned that since season one is kind of iffy and hard to get into, maybe you want to skip some Mm -hmm. till you get to the good episodes and maybe come back later. And Ted wanted to know what episodes should they skip. Mm -hmm. So, in my opinion, the only thing you really need to watch in season one is Angel and Prophecy Girl. Arc-wise, that's it. That's not to say that there aren't some gems in there or some good moments. Mm -hmm. But if you're really trying to, like, get a feel for what the show's about... You watch Angel, you watch Prophecy Girl, and mm-hmm. then you jump right to season two. Exactly. And then when you get to season two, I want you to skip uh, some assembly required. No. That's yeah, no, sarcasm. Yeah. Don't e- don't even take them seriously. Skip some assembly required, yeah. and I'm going to say skip Repti- Reptile Boy. But in general, I think if I predict that you will know by the end of School Hard, yeah, how you feel about that. Yeah, and, and to, to further, uh, my answer to that question, like, yeah, in season one, if you're, if you don't want to, like, completely skip everything, if you want to get a couple of one-offs, um, again, I would recommend seeing Angel and Prophecy Girl, that's what you need for the mythology. If you want to check out some one-offs, I think probably the two strongest ones are Nightmares and Out of Mind, Out of Sight. Agreed. Those are both pretty strong, if you want to try to get a feel for that. Um, but if you are worried about, like, just not getting over season one. Maybe try Prophecy Girl. If not, skip to the second season. I think School Hard is a great place to start. If you're really worried about, like, I can't get into this. I really just need, like, a really good episode to really get me hooked. It's the first appearance of Spike, who, um, if you know anything about Buffy, is just such a huge character later on and one of the most beloved. And maybe another one to, ch- to check out if you just want to see, like, one episode from season two that's really solid is Halloween. Yes. Uh, those are two great episodes. I think if you watch those two episodes and you feel like, I'm not into this, it's probably not the show for you. Yeah, then it probably is not your cup of tea. Yeah. But I think I absolutely think you hit the nail on the head. School Hard and Halloween are Monster of the Week episodes, mm-hmm. and they're two excellent episodes. So if those don't do it for you, nothing else will. Yeah. And then I think once you're hooked, once you get mm-hmm. it and you're excited about it, Go back and watch season one. I'm yeah. never going to say that people should never watch season one. Go back and watch it later, and then your love of the show will carry you through yeah. its weaker moments. And there's some stuff that it's nice to see the the early setup of things that pay off later, that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, we do acknowledge season one can be a bit of a slog. Uh, but like we said, Skip, if you really are feeling uh, tough, it's your first time going through... Angel and Prophecy Girl are the only, like, essential episodes. Right. Good question, Ted. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So we're, like, really close to the end of season one. Yeah, it is ridiculous how short the season is when you get this close to the end. Because when you're around, you know, the pack, it still seems like, oh, there's still tons to go. But it feels weird that there's only, after what we're covering today, only two more episodes, and that's the end of the season. It doesn't feel that close to a season finale. No, I mean, it's just a half season. It came in to Mm -hmm. um, fill the gap of something else that was canceled. Mm -hmm. 
not mid-season sure what... replacement, as they call it. Oh, fancy term. Mm-hmm. But I always forget about it, and I think that's because I subconsciously attribute every bad early Buffy episode of season one. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, Reptile Boy. That was clearly in season oh, yeah. one. Yeah. And then all really good early Buffy episodes to season two. Mm, so like yeah. Gingerbread, that was season two. Like, no, that was season three. Yeah. Um, so in my mind, we're missing stuff. And I realize like season two has some stinkers. Yeah. And I, I tend to mix up a lot of episodes in season one and season two that are the one-offs. Like there's the, uh, the weird kind of like fish... Men go swimmers, go swish, go, go, go swish. <laughs> and then there's the basketball one, go swish. I mean, they had the swim team. The swim Maybe team. Nike is sponsoring their swim team. <laughs> exactly, it's a dual. It's like a uh, some kind of like a biathlon only with swimming and then basketball, a basketathlon. But the the fish one, I always mix up with the pack. For whatever reason, like those just always feel like the same episode, even though they're not to me. They're both pretty Xander centric. Yeah, Xander centric with like weird other people one off in the school. Yeah. So this is it. We're winding down. Let's head into the Sunnydale stacks and open the books on the puppet show. As the puppet show opens, someone is skulking around backstage in the Sunnydale High Auditorium. We don't know who, because we're seeing everything from his point of view. Or are we? I'm kind of confused what's going on here. Yeah, it's a weird shot, because the black and white plus the weird kind of panty narration makes it think like, oh, this must be from the killer's point of view. But what we learn later about the killer, that doesn't make any sense. No, because it's clearly like a short person. Mm-hmm. You're around everyone's feet. Yeah. Which makes you think, oh, it's the dummy. Yeah. But then you immediately see the dummy, mm-hmm. and it turns out the dummy's not the bad guy. Like, what is this? Yeah. Is, was he just kneeling around being a creeper? I don't understand that. It is very creepy, though. Not in a scary way as much as, like, he's really ogling that young girl doing stretches for her dance routine, which is creepy in a different way. So the k- killer is clear. Really Xander. <laughs> yes, yes. So Cordelia's singing. Uh, she sings a lot like me. Oh, yeah. Okay. Cordelia and I. So have you're a big this. Whitney Houston fan, is what you're saying? Yes, I am, and that's not a joke. <laughs> I absolutely am. Yes. So, do you want to help us with a few bars? No, Cordelia does uh, just fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's actually better than me because stage fright is not an issue for her. She's mm. not bursting into tears. Giles is being forced to direct the Sunnydale High Talent Show. Or Talentless Show. Boom, burn, (laughs) (laughs) Throwing some shade there. The Scooby Gang arrives to poke fun, but their mirth is cut short when the new principal arrives. Principal Snyder, played by Armin... Shimmerman, I believe it's... Yes. Yes. Which is an awesome name. Um, I, I, I actually really enjoy Principal Snyder. Uh, I know a lot of Buffy fans I've talked to find him annoying and a little too season one-y to be a character that lasted until season three. But I kind of feel like I have met people in the school system or in administrative places and like really big places where it is that kind of bizarre power grab power-hungry bureaucrat. I will say I love to hate him. Mm, yeah. Like, I don't, I can't, I can't love him. He is a villain. Oh, no, no. But I do love to hate him. He's worse than a lot of the monsters on the show in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, he is. And it's made so much worse because he's not 
supernaturally evil. He's mm-hmm. just an evil man, which is he's, scarier. Yeah, he's just a jerk. A lot of the monsters can be like, oh, well, they'll die otherwise. What, what would you do to survive? He's just being a jerk because that's how he is. Well, as we learn in Band Candy, he's super insecure because mm-hmm. he was really uh, unpopular as a teenager, which we can all see. Yeah. This is the first time I realized just how short he is. Oh, yeah, he's tiny. He's so super tiny. Which I love that they use him as a fake-out a couple times in the episode. Like, they make it look like maybe Snyder is the is the monster a oh. couple times. Because he's super short. He It could totally be him from he that POV shot. He's a teeny, tiny man. Mm-hmm. A shimmer man, if you will. Yeah. Uh, Napoleon, or Nap- Napoleon, Napoleon <laughs> complex somewhere in there. <laughs> He encourages the gang to participate in the talent show as a positive influence slash punishment. Morgan, who we're meeting for the first time, will be doing a ventriloquist act with his dummy, Sid. It's rife with the usual lame wood jokes until Sid takes over with some much-needed sarcasm. Mm -hmm. Did you ever do a talent show? Oh, there is a story there. Yes! Uh, I was hoping there would be. So I was part of the last group of what was called the fill-ins at my high school, as in filling in. So in the talent show, a lot of the time they'd have big fancy bands, and then there'd be a magic act, and, and so you have to change over the set. So what you have in between are these little kind of blackout comedy pieces where the fill-ins do little sketches mostly about what's popular at the time. One of the sketches we had rehearsed was about Livestrong bracelets, which gives you an idea of when I was in high school. So it was just everybody had these different like kind of bracelets like were the Livestrong at the time. And it just everyone had progressively more and more until eventually I would have come out with a giant Livestrong nice. bracelet that was like a bandolier over my <laughs> shoulder. Now, we never got to that sketch, because we decided to open the sketch with a musical number that contained a line we were kind of warned against doing. So, without naming names, there were basically two people in our high school who had gotten DUIs that year. Ooh. Uh, a student and a teacher. Oh! Uh, one of them, their last name rhymed with the word wish. So, we were doing Grease that year, and we all dressed up in kind of 50s greaser clothes, did a little parody of Summer Lovin', but all the lyrics were changed to stuff about the school. So it was the one student's name and Mr. Rhymes with uh, Wish. A driver's license is their only wish. That was the lyric we did, which we thought like, ooh, we're, we're kind of skirting around the issue. We're not saying it directly, but like everybody knows what we're talking about. Apparently that uh, everybody knew a little too well what we were talking about. Yeah. Because immediately after we left the stage, the teacher in charge, whose name I forget at the time of recording this, maybe it'll come back to me in a horrible nightmare tonight, but uh, (laughs) he just went up and said very plainly, all right, that was your first and last sketch of the night. You are not going back on stage. Wow. And we were all kind of brought back to our little uh, classroom that was the fill-in dressing room. Uh, We were kind of dressed down. And I remember the uh, one person who was being very... uh, I guess you could say diplomatic, maybe political if you wanted to be a little meaner about it. I would say more diplomatic of saying, oh, well, I didn't realize what the line was referring to. I uh, didn't realize how bad this was. I found out through uh, LinkedIn recently that he is a speechwriter in Washington, D.C. Appropriate. Yes, very appropriate. So no more fill-ins for the rest of the night. No more fill-ins ever again. 
Mike, look what you did. Yep, I, I ruined the talent show. And that was, like, the only part that people liked about the talent show. Cause it sounds, I mean, like, not to put down the other participants in your talent show, but mm. it does seem like your guys would be the highlight. Yeah, because, I mean, even if the, the jokes aren't particularly great, making fun of everybody in the school or what's happening at the time is always going to be a lot more fun than some crappy high school band. And Frankly, most high school bands are most pretty crappy. Of them. Not all, but most. There are there are exceptions, but for the most part, um, they're pretty bad. My favorite part, though, is that we heard reports from people still watching the show that they the audience was chanting fill-ins throughout the show, and they wanted us back. That they, the whole audience was fill-ins, fill-ins, fill-ins. So that made me feel a little bit better about uh, being kicked off of the show and wow. ruining and talent been, shows forever. This was in high school? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, my high school didn't have talent shows. They okay. had Battle of the Bands, mm-hmm. which is previously mentioned. I'm musically untalented, so I did not participate in those. You didn't like background dance using some of your cheerleading skills? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they uh, played things very similar to jock jams. No. <laughs> no. A lot of garage bands. But th- so the last time I had a talent show was elementary school. Ooh. And I ironically enough was really into puppetry at this what? point. <laughs> 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 yeah, I had just gotten back from Universal Studios. But that's where you get puppets. It is. It yeah. is pr- exactly where yeah. you get puppets. Uh and my parents had bought me this Muppet looking thing like it was oh. a it was like a legit looking yeah. muppet it was kind of like a build-a-bear version okay. of a muppet where i got to pick the color and the mm-hmm. props and stuff and i named him murph <gasps> oh. i was really into murph i also had several marionettes i'm Ooh. pretty good with a marionette i at this point was in addition to puppetry and marionettes and the muppets i was also very into joke telling Okay. My mom would buy me these jokes called The Really Awful Joke Book. Okay. And The Really Awful Joke Book 2. Yeah. And More Awful Jokes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I convinced one of my friends to get on stage with me, taught her how to work a marionette, and we told jokes back and forth to each other from The Really Awful Joke Book. Oh, so you were both operating puppets. Yes. Just telling jokes back and forth. Yes. In okay. no way was I trying ventriloquism. Okay. Just using my straight up mouth. I don't know if you can were, call that talent. Were the puppets up above something or were no. you literally just standing? Literally sitting? just standing there with puppets. Is that your puppets? Clearly your mouth is moving yep. as is the puppets. Yep. So exactly what I did. You're like some kind of weird Siamese twin pairing where you're just both speaking as one. Yep. Okay. There you go. Okay. At least you didn't ruin anything for everyone forever. I remember being really upset when the girl who clog danced got an ovation. Like, people actually Mm -hmm. started chanting for her to come back, and she did an encore. Yeah. And I was like, but what about us? You don't... I mean, come on, guys. I got more jokes. I got, like, three books here. I don't think anyone has ever called for an encore of puppet jokes. Even, even like, Jim Henson probably didn't get, like, encores. Like, oh, that was really nice. (laughs) Oh, so later... In the girls' locker room, a ballerina is attacked just before we cut mm-hmm. to the credits. I believe it's the ballerina from the opening. I didn't really care enough to look back and double check. Okay. It is. I just, blonde ballerina, I'm assuming, but I didn't get Hey, not all blondes are the same, my God. Blonde ballerinas, I qualified. <laughs> <laughs> the gang decides to perform a scene from a Greek tragedy for the show. 
Mm-hmm. Willow is dealing with some debilitating stage fright, which is, I think, foreshadowing to the next episode. Yeah, there's a lot of cool little foreshadows to the next episode, because Xander kind of gets freaked out by a mime. Oh! Yeah. So yeah. It's, it seems like a little too well-planned, where I feel like there are probably almost certainly accidents that these two episodes were right next to each other, because that like kind of build-up and payoff is is way too awesome to be like planned, I think. But they're just like, oh, these are character traits that these characters have, and they happen to coincide. So if you're watching week to week, it really pays off. Nice. Snyder explains to Giles that he intends to lay down the law in the school. (laughs) So far, it's not working, because dancer Emily's dead body is found in the locker room. Her heart was removed with a knife, which leads the gang to believe it was done by a human and not a demon. They decide to interview the members of the talent show to see who was the last to see her alive. Yeah, I like this that it's kind of a whodunit for a lot of the episode. And one thing I thought when I was watching this is, oh, this is what the last episode I wrote Robot Eugene could have been. Not the greatest episode, but at least it's sustainable as an episode of television. That is absolutely the exact same thing I have in my note. The, Great. the reason I think this one, this is still probably one of my least favorite episodes. Yeah, it's it's never going to be great. I think either premise is a little too out of Buffy's wheelhouse that there's a killer robot or a dummy slayer fighting a demon. Right. The, neither one of those is intriguing to me. However, this one keeps my attention Mm -hmm. because right up until the end, I have no idea who this is. It's throwing me like five red herrings. Mm -hmm. I'm in there with the gang. We all are very confused trying to figure this out. It's got the mystery that I Robot You Jane ruined. Yeah, and and that's that's the thing is it's not like the demon is that intimidating at the end, but it's cool to see to not see the demon until the end. It's cool to not know who's going it. It's cool to get to the end and go Oh, okay. Now it all makes sense. Right. Except the opening shot. But much better than the last episode, that's for sure. So it turns out that Morgan was the last to see her alive. Students report him rubbing his head, moaning, and talking to his dummy, which Buffy witnesses firsthand when she attempts to question him. She has her first threatening run-in with Snyder, Mm -hmm. which is noteworthy only for this great quote. I love this. It's probably the best Snyder moment ever. (laughs) There are things I will not tolerate. Students loitering on campus after school. Horrible murders with hearts being removed. And also smoking. (laughs) Yeah, the little tag at the end is great. And maybe foreshadowing of the next episode where smoking kills. When does smoking kill? The ugly man? In the next episode. Yeah, nope, you're right. You're right. Smoking. Oh, I'm getting real confused. I feel like maybe I'm in a nightmare world with a dummy. We're in a dream state, guys. It's okay. (laughs) Morgan is talking to Sid again. We're left to think that Morgan is the next son of Sam, I think, with his dummy telling him to kill people, including Buffy. I think it's a misdirect. I really think that... Yeah, I, I, yeah, I feel like maybe the the voice shouldn't have been as distinct from Morgan to begin with, because it's really... It's so clearly not him doing the dummy voice that, like, there's something possessing the dummy where I... I don't know, maybe if they're going for, like, a, the bummy, the dummy is controlling him kind of thing. But if it's just him being crazy, I feel like he's randomly, occasionally way too good at the dummy voice, if that's the misdirect they're going for. I gotcha. I guess I, again, we talked about how I'm unable to watch something and not try to stay ten steps ahead of it. Mm-hmm. I guess I felt the episode wanted me to think that Sid was a demon or Sid was possessed. Yeah. 
So I immediately assumed that that was throwing me for a loop, yeah. and it was the opposite. That Sid was really just a dummy. Oh, okay. I remember being c- convinced when I first watched this episode, Sid is actually a dummy. Oh, that's re- that's a really cool that's a really cool way to to think about the episode. I feel like that would be I don't like more getting fun tricked. To watch it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, no, they're not going to trick me. He's real. See, so you're not enjoying that Shyamalan movies. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, there's there's really only about two good ones, two and a half maybe. Buffy gets a visit from Sid at home. What? Does she act all needy in front of her mom? She, I mean, she knows there is a boogeyman. When her mom runs in to mm. be like, what's wrong, honey? Shouldn't Buffy be like, if there's something is here, yeah. I will protect my mother because I have superpowers. Yeah, that that is kind of weird. It's, it's that weird line that they have to walk where Buffy has to act normal, but sometimes that doesn't make any sense. For what she actually is and knows. I, I don't know. I talked up to the fact that she was recently woken up from REM sleep and she's a little out of it. Yeah, that could that could be it, I think. Or, you know, just the general wig of uh, the dummy as opposed to other things because she has a true. childhood fear of dummies. That's true. Yeah, that, I think yeah, that's a really that good could point. Be it. Which is a really, really sad fear to have when you face vampires and demons. Right. And a little dummy. Like, the Chucky doll should not be your... your you should be serious. having nightmares about the three. Just kidding. They didn't do anything. <laughs> well, now we get, in this episode, the seven. So that's four better. The seven? That's the order of the demon is right. from. He's okay. from... He's one of the seven. What is wrong with my memory this time? <laughs> well, they only mention it once, and it's super in passing. And uh, I just noted that because seven, <laughs> they just had the three. All their demons we are just... We skipped the numerical. five! Well, yeah. <laughs> Did I miss a couple episodes? There's lost episodes in the first season where they face the four and the five and the six. Back at school the next day, Giles discovers the perfect way to get rid of Cordelia. Hmm. Uh, your hair. What? What? I swear. And then she runs off. It's it's a really, really funny moment. Yeah, and I love that that Giles says, uh, I'll have to thank Xander or whatever he says that basically says Xander gave him that trick. I love that it plays off of all three of those characters really well. Yes. He's found a type of demon that every seven years needs to steal a human heart and a brain in order to keep their human form. So, could Morgan really be a demon? Mm. Demons are strong, and Morgan is decidedly not. Yeah. Morgan has his dummy out in history class for some strange reason. Yeah, it's it's weird. I kind of want to see a prequel to this episode just to see yeah. what was Morgan and Sid's relationship. How did they meet? Well, like, and what was... Sid doing before the week of the talent show. Exactly. Does Morgan always have the dummy out? Yeah. Is the dummy somehow like Morgan's great-grandfather or something? And that's why they're teaming up? I I don't see how this dummy just decided, hey, this random high school kid, you're going to help me find these demons. Sid talks back to the teacher who confiscates him. Mm -hmm. But when Morgan goes to collect it after school, the dummy is gone. You mean he's gone? He's gone. He? (laughs) Xander stole Sid. So Buffy could question Morgan alone. She goes looking for him in the dressing rooms, where she's once again confronted by Creepo Snyder. Mm Mm-hmm. Nice little misdirect moment. Yes. Meant to fool us into thinking he's the demon. As Xander babysits the dummy, Willow finds research about instances wherein toys have acted upon their desire to become human by harvesting organs. Like this one time in Chicago, there's this like redheaded doll who uh, tracked down <laughs> this uh, this voodoo guy and learned about. Uh, it's uh, they made some movies about it, um, <laughs> but uh, 
Uh, I think probably my favorite part of the episode, maybe some of the Sid stuff, I just like the idea of it, uh, is Xander playing with the puppet. Yeah. Like, I'm completely inanimate and just hitting it against the table. Red rum! Red Red rum! rum. Which I found out was improvised by uh, Nicholas Brendan. He improvised the red rum line. Job, Nicholas Brendan. Cool reference. So let's take count now of how many theories we have. Number one, Morgan is a serial killer who hears voices. Mm -hmm. Number two, classic killer dummy. Classic killer dummy wants to harvest organs to become human. Number three, Morgan is a demon harvesting organs to stay human. Number four, Principal Snyder is a demon harvesting organs to stay human. Yeah, so lots of different ways this could go right now. This is exactly what I wrote about you, Jane, was missing. Exactly. There's just a great sense of mystery here where even some of the elements that aren't as strong, like... It does lean a bit, this episode, on talent show cliches of, this is what a magic act is. This is what dancing is. I mean, I think it's fine. I think it's cute. Again, I did a puppet routine in my (laughs) talent show, which I think at this point I'm never going to live down. (laughs) But I think those cliches exist for a reason. We have, you know, very similar acts Mm -hmm. in our talent shows. Yeah, well, just, like, the fact that not only is... It's, it's like the magician does every cliched magician trick. It's, there's the rabbit in the hat. Where's my rabbit? There's the cabinet that makes you disappear. There's the, I'm gonna, well, I guess it's not cut you in half. It's guillotine, so it's a little different. But that seems more like a plot convenience for the end of the episode. I feel like if they didn't have to have a guillotine for the end, it would have been sawing a lady in half. Which, I, I, I mean, I can forgive it because the sense of mystery, exactly, is, can make me forgive some more cliched elements that, I feel like later on in the series, they would have shied away from being that on the nose. Gotcha. Buffy finds Morgan's body in the dressing rooms, minus one brain. Ooh. A chandelier falls, trapping her beneath it. Ooh, the editing on that was real rough for me. Yeah. It's just like, it's kind of showing a chandelier shaking, blackout. Buffy's just under a chandelier now. It also, A, it looks like she could sh- slide out from underneath it pretty easily. Yeah, or... Or, like, move it, because I know the, the thing is that it's supposed to be super heavy, but it doesn't look that heavy, and she's the Slayer. <laughs> also, you have super strength, girl. Yeah, like, I, I don't know. And I totally understand uh, the reason why you need it, because otherwise, Buffy fighting a puppet would end real quick. Yeah, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Sid attacks Buffy. She easily tosses him away. Mm-hmm. We get uh, an opening shot, which I'm always on the lookout when she's under the chandelier and, this, and uh, the knife goes down. That's in the opening. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. We find out that Sid is a demon fighter, cursed mm-hmm. into a puppet's body. If he kills the organ-stealing demon, Sid will be free from the curse. They figure out that the demon must be part of the show. Who's ever missing must be the demon. I love the reveal of Sid, basically, when Buffy and him are trading all these kind of one-liners about, now you're now you're cooked, you'll never get these organs, neither will you. And they just go, what? Yeah. Uh, and then that cuts to one of my favorite visual jokes of uh, the first season. It's just slowly showing everybody's reactions to the dummy talking. Yeah. I think it's so great. And <laughs> it just in an episode where a lot of things I feel like are a little too broad, that's the perfect way to show how ridiculous it is. It's not like yeah. them just saying, well, you're a dummy that's talking. This is crazy. It's just showing on their face. That's what all of them are thinking. Like, this yeah. is the dumbest thing that's happened to us yet. <laughs> And by them acknowledging that through their acting, I feel like it makes it uh, feel a little more natural in the episode itself. Agreed. Absolutely. 
So I will say that I lose interest in this episode once the mystery surrounding the dummy is gone. Once mm. I know his whole deal, he's just a dumb-looking dummy, and I don't care about him. I kind of wish they had gone more with the Xander thing of thinking, wait, maybe the dummy tricked us. If they had done that more as a legitimate, oh, maybe the dummy did trick us and he is lying, that right. would have been cool, too. Because then it's a double, double bluff, and there's all, there's even more layers, but they kind of immediately say, oh, no, that can't be true. I still think, I just think the most interesting thing about this episode is... Is it just a dummy mm-hmm. or is it more? Once yeah. you find out it's more, it's like, oh, well, no, you, I don't yeah. care. That's yeah. all I wanted to know. So no one's missing from the talent show. Mm. Sid disappears and Buffy finds Morgan's brain. Why was it rejected? Morgan had a brain tumor. Now the demon will be looking for the smartest brain to steal. The gang thinks he'll be after Willow. But no, it's Giles. Aww. A magician has enlisted help in his act, putting Giles beneath the guillotine. I really like the whole, um, what could a demon possibly want from me? What's the square root of 841? 29. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Uh, I do question the uh, demon's logic of, this brain didn't work out. Let me just throw it somewhere backstage. <laughs> like, I, I feel like there's yeah. a better place to store your, your used up brains. Well, he's looking for a brain. He's clearly not that smart. Oh, that's that's it. He's, there you he go. needs a brain. Uh, that one didn't work out for him. I also like the line from Xander uh, after, needs a healthy, intelligent brain. Well, that means I'm safe. Yeah. <laughs> he knows where he is. Yep. So it's a good thing that that axe blade is super dull because it takes five minutes to cut through that rope. Yeah. And there's weird sound issues with that bit where clearly they're making the sound of him hitting it at least three more times than they actually show him hitting it. And after about two, it's clearly one hit away from yeah. even a butter knife being able to cut through this rope. This is also just a weird, very dramatic way to, to like, yeah. can't you do something else to trigger that gate? Maybe untie the rope? Yeah, and it seems like, <laughs> I understand why you do that if you're doing the, the actual stage show bit yes. of it. But yes. if you're backstage killing a man to steal his brain, you don't need to be theatrical about yeah. it at all. cut the dramatics, no one's watching. Yeah, that's it, you're just giving the heroes time to save them. One thing I do want to mention before I get too heavy into the uh, climax here is... Just in the background as they're running out of the library, the Scooby gang, there's a janitor that looks real creepy to me. Uh, so if you're, if you haven't watched the episode again yet, uh, for some reason you listen to these before you, you, uh, watch the episode again, just watch out for that janitor. He looks real cre- creepy the way he's standing almost perfectly still, turns slowly to look at them as they run, and has no reaction whatsoever. I think it's just bad acting, but it comes off as one of the scariest things in the first season. <laughs> he should be coming back. Yeah. Clearly he's not doing any work. We've established that before. The janitors do no work here, so they're just clearly evil. Yes. Buffy fights the demon, and Sid comes to her rescue. The demon ends up in the gu- guillotine. Sid dies. <laughs> my f- I think my favorite moment that doesn't work, but then because of that actually works really well, is after the head gets cut off... Sid says, oh, I gotta get the heart, because it'll uh, just come back if you don't get the heart. And, you know, has a little exchange with Buffy. He goes, thanks. Stabs the demon and goes, ugh. Dies. Just the weird ugh yeah. of it. It seems like, otherwise the vocal performance is really great, except for that last moment where it's just, ugh. 
like you're moving furniture, not like, oh, I'm dying. Yeah. It's, my, it's such a weird choice. My soul or whatever is leaving it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I see that's like I know you think it like it works to a point that it's it because it doesn't work, it works for you. Yeah. I'm no, it just straight up doesn't work for me. Uh, it's it's no. so bad it's good for me that the puppet's slumping over. <laughs> and then the curtains for the talent show open. So whatever happened to the other student acts? I mean, wouldn't they be backstage yeah, like that right is a off the weird. wings if the show's just starting? Mm-hmm. But everyone is in the audience seeing this strange thing <laughs> on stage, and Snyder doesn't get it. He just <laughs> I don't, doesn't I don't get, get it. it. What is it? Avant-garde? We get a lovely button scene of the game mm-hmm. performing Oedipus. Yeah, with a weird credit call- crawl on the side, which is in the font of Salute Your Shorts. I don't know why. Oh, is it? It's. It, I mean, that's what it reminds me of. But it's the only time that the credits are not in the Buffy font. It's the only time that they push the credits to the side. Um, and I was doing research that apparently in a lot of the re-airings when it was still on... WB? WB, uh, before it moved. In, in subsequent re-airings, they cut this whole part out. What? Which is so weird. It's Why on, would like, you all do the that? DVDs this is like the best Netflix. part of the whole episode. Yeah, it's so weird that they cut that, especially since the credits are still there. I guess maybe they, they smush them in a different way to show other things, but it still seems ridiculous to me. That is dumb. A really funny scene with them. Protest. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, I couldn't get a... I really wanted to get a high-def image of them in their Greek mm. get-ups, and I couldn't find one, and I realized it's because it's smushed. Yep. You can't get it's it. All to the side. Oh, well, one thing I found out in my research, that Willow running off stage was completely improvised. Oh! She wasn't supposed to do that, which is, again, great foreshadowing of the next episode! I love Allison Hannigan. Uh, she is just so good in everything she does. <laughs> I was actually reading this whole, like, quote about the first season, and I think it was Joss Whedon was talking about how this was the hardest scene in the entire season to film because everyone was just laughing off stage, and you yeah. can kind of hear people laughing. In <laughs> I the mean, background. people. I feel like people in the audience might be laughing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would be if I saw that at, yeah. at a show. I've seen some bad theater here. Uh, we're in Chicago, and I've seen some real bad theater. Sure. And I have no qualms about laughing. I mean, I think I think choosing a Greek tra- tragedy was <laughs> just the wrong way to go. If you're, I mean, like. Great tragedy is hard, yeah. buddy. Like, well, I think it's it's almost, and this is, I think, totally because I'm a theater person. To get real pretentious, I am wearing a sweater vest right now. Uh, <laughs> but they make a joke about how, well, the easiest thing to do will just be to do a dramatic scene early in the episode, and the theater geek in me likes to think that this is proving them wrong. I mean, true. Mm-hmm. They are, yeah. Yeah. I don't think that was really the intent so much. I think it was more just, it would be funny if they're really bad at this. I feel like professional actors wouldn't, and like professional mm-hmm. people in, not necessarily theater, but film, wouldn't purposely say, acting's easy. <laughs> Anyone can do it. He'd be out of a job. <laughs> well, they're, they're proven wrong, that's for sure. One other thing, and I think this speaks more to the horribleness of the last episode, because it's kind of a pattern, especially in the older days of TV before the internet was a thing, really, where the quality of the week before determines how many people watch an episode. Okay. This is the lowest rated episode of Buffy ever. Wow. I mean, I think it's definitely down there. Like you yeah. mentioned Go Fish earlier. Go mm-hmm. Fish is down there. Mm-hmm. Teacher's Pet is down there. Reptile Boy yeah. is down there. But 
nothing actually makes me bored to the point of making me angry <laughs> like I Robot You, Jane. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why this had so few viewers. It had uh, 1.7 million, which is a lot today. But back in the day, like anything under 2 million was failure, basically. So this was the lowest rated episode that they had did up to that point and from then on. even Wow. On, yeah, even on UPN, I believe they always got better ratings. I think you're right, though. It's got to be because of I Robot You, Jane. I mean, after you saw that episode, I feel like I would just be, no, I'm out. Meh. And especially if you saw that next week was about a puppet, you would not have any thought that, oh, this is going to get Yeah, better. I can't imagine that the, um, you know, like this week on Buffy the Vampire Slayer were that interesting. Like, yeah. killer demon puppet, what? Yeah, yeah. And like, maybe you could give it the benefit of the doubt if the last episode was Angel. And it was like, ooh, this was really cool and built up the character backstories. Oh, I guess they're going to have more of a funny one with this puppet. Right. But if you have Robot followed by Evil Puppet, you're just going to be like, this show has prematurely jumped the shark. Yes. Okay, it's time to put the puppet show back on the shelf and open the books on Nightmare. Nightmares starts with Buffy in the master's lair. He attacks her and she wakes up from a nightmare. Boo! It's already a nightmare. I love how this is shot. I mean, the whole episode. But especially this opening is super creepy and really like a legitimate horror movie. Yeah. And has little hints at kind of Nosferatu and classic horror things. The master looks more like Nosferatu in this than he does in the rest of the whole first season, uh, and is super creepy and intimidating. And then it turns out to be a dream, which you'd think, oh, like, oh, that's kind of a cheat, but then with the rest of the episode. Yeah, it's totally, it's totally appropriate. Buffy is prepping for a visit from her dad. Is this, I feel like we only see him twice? Not, not very often, yeah. I, I can't, I always forget that Buffy has a dad. Right. Well, it, I think it's very odd that mm-hmm. he doesn't come up more often. Yeah. And therefore, yeah, subconsciously, I always think of her as uh, either Joyce as a widow or mm-hmm. later on as Buffy as an orphan. Yeah. But, and I understand that having him come on is probably logistically a nightmare. Mm-hmm. You got to track him down. You got to yeah. pay him. Maybe he decided he didn't want to act anymore. Yeah. I don't know. But sometimes it gets awkward. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does feel so weird that, and I totally understand why he has to be a part of this episode because one of the strongest things in the episode is that scene he has with Buffy. But it also feels like the show doesn't have any need for him, but occasionally they'll have to reference him that he exists. And it feels really weird to me. I wish they could kind of come up with, like, a better way to just have him out of the picture and it not feel false. I'm wondering why Joss chose to have them divorced Mm -hmm. and not have her dad be dead. And I wonder mm-hmm. if it's because he wanted to make a feminist statement yeah. about single moms. Yeah. I know he came You from don't have his- to be a single parent just because your husband dies. You can get a divorce and still be, like, a cool person. Right. And I know, like, he came... His mom was a single mom. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure if that was due to divorce or mm-hmm. death. I'll ask him next time I talk to him. Oh. <laughs> Give him my best. Mm-hmm. But it, it feels like it would have been a stronger choice... Aside from this episode, and this, I think, is the only reason why I'm totally okay with Hank existing as a character for his scene in this episode. I feel like it would be a stronger choice if he was just completely out of the picture. Like, not necessarily dead, but just, like, he's on the other side of the country. Like, he is inaccessible in a way, because he is, for so much of the show, not talked about, not referenced. 
It's not like Buffy talks about, oh yeah, last weekend I was at my dad's. It's it's like he doesn't exist most of the time. And he, I mean, later on he will be in Europe or whatever, mm-hmm. Brazil, I forget. I wonder if Joss was trying to say something about a positive male vision, but a positive male character on TV that... Just because parents are divorced does not make the dad a deadbeat dad. Just because you only see him on weekends, he can still have a good relationship with Joyce. They can still be friends. I just feel like then they should have used him more. Yes. It feels like Agreed. really, really weak that you only see him. Like, we can't even remember how many times we see him. That's really weak. To if I feel like they should have done more with him. And if they hadn't introduced him till now, and then he became not a regular regular, but you see him once or twice a season, I think that would have been really cool. Because And they, there are a lot of people who that's their relationship because their parents are divorced. And, you know, if you move away with one parent, you're not going to see the other parent as often. They're not as big an influence in your life, but it doesn't mean necessarily they're off in Brazil forever. Right. But it seems like it's it's a half measure that never really works for me. I mean, I do think that in addition to Buffy being a feminist show, mm-hmm. feminist show with a strong female influence, you know, there's a great quote from... Joss Whedon, where he says, you know, he's talking about why he writes strong female characters. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons he gives is because of my dad and my stepdad who taught me that strong, witty, smart women are sexy. And I think Joss often uses this show to show us what a feminist male can look like. You know, Xander and Giles are not emasculated no. by the strength of the women around them. They yeah. support them. Yeah. Uh, so I just, I wonder if having a functional relationship with her dad was part of that for mm-hmm. a while. And then it just got to be Get, kind of felt complicated. Way, so, yeah. yeah. In class, just as Buffy notices a creepy kid lurking in the hallway, this time it's not the anointed one. Wendell's book is overflowing with tarantulas. Ooh, the spider book. As the classroom erupts in chaos, the kid says, sorry about that. So we know it's his fault. Yeah. And I personally find this kid, and granted we find out he's not evil, to be so much creepier in these early scenes than the anointed one ever is for me. Because he, there's like this mystery to him, and the way he delivers those lines are ambiguous enough the first couple times that I, I feel creeped out by it in a way that the anointed one just feels a little a little too broad for me to really be scary. Whereas this one, I, I, I like this kid actor more maybe is the thing. Oh my God. I just find this kid annoying. <laughs> I, Cause I don't like the delivery of that line. The sorry about that. I mean, I do think, I think when he's being not creepy, when he's mm. talking about the ugly man, yeah. I feel legitimate sympathy for him. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm scared for this kid, yeah. but not, not until I know exactly what's going on with him. Mm-hmm. I think. Underground, the master is teaching the anointed one about fear. He senses change above ground. A change for the worse. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Up there, Buffy is worried her dad will forget to pick her up from school. I do like that the parents don't badmouth each other. Yeah. Like they are, you talk, or we talked five minutes ago about, yeah. you know, cliches. This is the opposite cliche. Yeah. You know, the parents are not ragging on each other. Yeah, and like the closest it ever comes to it is I think a really nice turnaround of the, you know, one parent badmouthing the other where it's, Joyce says something along the lines of, and you know your father's just crazy about you and loves everything you do. Not more than me, but, right. and I feel like that's a really nice way where it's not like she's badmouthing the other parent, but making sure like, oh, but I still love you too. It's not right. just your dad, which I think is so refreshing because it's like, 
It's it's almost the flip side of the bad mouthing the other parent, making sure not to bad mouth yourself. And yeah, build up the other parent too much. It was a good line. Yeah, version. yeah. Giles was researching the spider phenomena in the stacks mm-hmm. where he got lost. <laughs> it's like the name of the podcast. <laughs> That made me so happy. When I, I know. When I it's like he got lost in the stacks. I literally just started you're like, the stacks, the stacks, the stacks. <laughs> oh. He advises the gang to talk to Wendell, who is understandably upset. <laughs> Wendell explains that he loves spiders. He used to collect them until his brother killed them all while he was away at camp. Since then, Wendell has had nightmares identical to the scene in class. Ooh. I also like this, that it's a nice... A little inversion of what you think the story is going to be, because it's obvious from minute to, oh, even if you don't know the title, this is going to be the show where nightmares come to life. Yeah. It's it's super obvious, but just having the little inversion of like, no, I'm not afraid of spiders. I just have these nightmares because my brother killed these spiders that I was responsible for, and I love spiders. Yeah, and they could have easily just said, yes, I'm scared of spiders. They yeah. freak me out. They yeah. could have easily just gone that route. Yeah, they could have gone the arachnophobia route of, uh, I'm speaking of the Jeff Daniels movie. where <laughs> I'm scared of that one, too. <laughs> but John Goodman's so adorable. Uh, where he has the backstory of he saw a spider in his crib as a child, and it freaked him out so much he's been afraid of spiders ever since. But they do a, a nice twist on that. And they don't, I mean, they, they, it's not nice that they do that for this, for Xander's clown fear. They're mm-hmm. just, and for Willow, I mean, that's kind of the only one where you get a nice backstory. Like, Xander's just like, no, I'm afraid of clowns. Well, Willow's I mean, just like, no, I have stage fright. It's the sixth birthday, but I feel like that also, in the, and this is actually from the last episode, where Buffy has the great line about, oh, you know, ever since I was a kid, I had the fear of dummies. Uh, why? I saw a dummy and it freaked me out. Yeah. Not much of a story there. And I feel like a lot of childhood fears don't have that great story you see in a lot of movies That's and true. stuff. I used to be scared of the people at amusement parks that would be dressed up in huge furry costumes. Like oh, giant yeah. Goofy or giant... That's terrifying. Yeah, terrifying. I don't know why. Like, I know I'm supposed to go up and give them a hug. No thanks, I'm good. I have, and I gave this to a very dear friend of mine, two sets of pictures... From when I was went to Florida as a real young kid, and outside of Star Tours, uh, yes. Which, which oh my god, yes! I just went to Disney World two years ago, and my husband and I went on Star Tours like ten times, just oh, in a row. Yeah, cool. Because really, there's not that many people in line for Star Tours anymore. Sadly, I enjoyed it a lot, but outside, I didn't enjoy so much the Chewbacca. There's this great sequence. It's just two pictures. The first one is me, like, oh, this is awesome. I beat my Chewbacca, and then I think I kind of realized. Oh, this is a stranger in a giant hairy yeah. suit, and I'm just booking it, trying yeah. to get away. It's this nice little, you could do a little You've flip taught work. me not to hug strangers. Yeah. Why are you now encouraging this me to hug strangers? This is a giant hairy ape, man. That's, that's terrifying. Oh, one thing uh, before we move on to the next scene. Xander uh, in this morning. Xander in this morning is wearing the most Xander outfit in the series. It's like the Xander action figure outfit when he's talking to the uh, spider kid. He has his patterned shirt mm. that only has one button button for whatever reason. <laughs> um, plaid, uh, the plaid pants and a black undershirt. And I feel like that is classic Xander. Nice. That's what's going to be on the articulated Xander action figure. <laughs> Buffy has a history test she hasn't studied for, and has she ever been to class? <gasps> Time is ticking, and Buffy doesn't know the answers. Ooh. Before she can even write her name, time is up, and Buffy has flunked. Mm-hmm. But then, 
There's that creepy kid again. He watches as a girl takes a smoke break in the boiler room where she's attacked by a monster with a club hand saying lucky 19. Mm -hmm. Smoking kills. I love because this this scene it felt like was purposely shot as a horror movie slasher movie parody almost. Mm. Where it's still meant to build the tension but it's so typical of a high school killer movie where somebody's alone in a room and then the monster comes and kills them and then you pan over to the sign that's the smoking It was a good shot. Yeah. Did people, did the kids smoke in your school? Was there a spot that they went to smoke in? Uh, Not cigarettes. Uh, There were definitely (laughs) some potheads. But I I don't remember a lot of cigarette smoking in in my high school, my school was kind of lame. As far as like, there weren't a lot of real real rebel kids who did real rebel stuff. There's the one kid who got Except a DUI. Except for smoking pot. Yeah, but I mean, I feel like enough people, even though my community was very buttoned down, it was still kind of everyone kind of understood. In 15 years, this is probably going to be legal. <laughs> like we don't approve of it now, but we end. There there were girls in my high school that often would ditch class to go smoke. Like mm-hmm. the bad girls would. Um, and I think they went out behind the school. But what always stuck out to me is their code for ditching class to go have a cigarette was molesting a child. Boo! <laughs> so they would say in class like, hey, I think I'm going to go molest a child after sex. You want to come with me? Yeah, I could molest a child. That... <laughs> they understand the purpose of using code words? <laughs> it's so much worse. Yeah, that is a million times worse. <laughs> it's so bad. And they were so like, I think I'm going to molest a Marlboro child. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes, you you suck at this. Oh. Needless to say, they were not the smartest tools <laughs> no. in the show. Uh, that actually reminds me of one of the cigarette-related stories in my high school. Freshman year, I did a production of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, where I played Martini. If you've seen the movie, it's the role that Danny DeVito plays. So, in that story, there's a big thing of the patients, it's all in a mental institution, playing cards, but they can't bet with real money, so they use cigarettes. Now, you don't have to smoke on stage. It's never indicated that you have to smoke. We're just using the cigarettes, and I'm sure we would have used prop cigarettes, as chips, because we can't have chips. We can't use money. Now, they thought that using cigarettes as poker chips would somehow encourage smoking. So what we did instead in the production was use actual coins. So we were actually gambling on stage so that we didn't promote smoking. <laughs> so very mixed up priorities. Like I said, my, my, my high school was pretty, pretty lame, pretty square. But they were okay with pot. They're okay with pot and gambling, <laughs> but not cigarettes. Buffy and Giles visit the girl in the hospital, where the doctor points out a victim with similar injuries. Hey, it's that creepy kid again. <laughs> His name's Billy Palmer, and he's in a coma. His jersey is number 19. Ooh, I do like that Giles again comes to the hospital because the teachers at the school really do care. And he wears his hospital scarf. Where I'm not sure if you noticed this, but I think it's just a general thing of when Giles is out and about in the world. But in the last couple episodes, the most out and about in the world we tend to see him is at the hospital. And he has this scarf that he wears over his jacket that serves no other function than decorative. Because I can't imagine it gets that cold in Sunnydale, California. But it seems like he just says, oh wait, I'm going to the hospital. Let me get my hospital scarf real quick. 
I wonder, does Me he too, wear it Buffy. when he, like, goes to the funeral home and never kill a boy in the first date? Was I too I, focused on hating Owen to I notice? I have to watch it again. I feel like maybe he does and it gets lost really quick because he's being chased by vampires. It's a good thing he has a backup for this episode <laughs> yes, he has exactly. to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got several. That's the Citrion. All the trunk is just hospital scarves. <laughs> Back at school, Xander is suddenly naked. Ooh. And Giles can't read. <laughs> Buffy's dad arrives early to tell her that the divorce was all Buffy's fault. Oh, my God. Raising her was too much of a strain on their relationship and drove them apart. He'd prefer to not have any more weekends with her. This breaks my heart. This, up until I think you know which episode I'm talking about later on, there's one episode that's just devastating. This is probably one of the hardest things to watch in all of Buffy. SMG is so good here. Yeah, she is really great in this episode. Like, I I will sometimes uh, harp on some of Sarah Michelle Gellar's acting in in the first season, at least. But this is just great. She is great in it. She reacts. So the the gradual shift of, what are you talking about? To like, are you kidding? To just completely crushed. Yeah. And just, oh, I get goosebumps to just think about it. It's so sad and brutal. I, I mean, I, I do not come from a divorced family, but mm-hmm. I have to think that this would hit home yeah. for a lot of kids. This has to be an absolute nightmare to go through. Yeah. And I, I, I just remember watching it thinking, what if it was your version of the worst thing your parents could say to you. And I'm sure we all have something yeah. like that of, you know, your disappointment or I wish you had never done this or wish you'd never been born or whatever it is. And just imagining your parent just casually brushing your whole existence oh, off. And it's just like, so just ruthless how he just doesn't care yeah. how he's hurting her. Yeah. And it'll be, it, it'll be one thing if it was angry, it wouldn't be nearly as bad. Because then right. he could be like, oh, he's lost his temper. But it's that he's, he plays it, and whoever plays Hank Summers, I don't remember his name, does a good job of just playing it so casually that it makes it that much worse. Absolutely. Oh. Mm. The gang realizes that their nightmares are coming true. Giles immediately blames Billy, which I find to be a quick jump. Yeah. It's like a leap. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 there is the Lucky 19 connection. So there is that. And they don't really have any other... St- suspects at the time. How do we know that the club hand guy is related to... Like, yes, club hand guy obviously has to do with Billy. Mm-hmm. But how do you jump to immediately assuming that it has to do with everyone's nightmares? Well, maybe it's because Giles, uh, his fear is being an actor that he can't read, which is, by the way, the most British of fears. Uh, it's, I think, only topped by, I can no longer drink tea. Oh, no! <laughs> the most British of fears. That terrible tea allergy. <laughs> oh, no! But I, I feel like maybe because he can't read, he has to use more intuitive logic. And it is a bit of a jump, but who's somebody we know that is sleeping? Nightmares happen when you're asleep. There's the 19 connection. We're on a hell mouth and we don't have any other subjects. I admit it's a little too convenient. I It's something that I didn't notice first watching it, so I can forgive it for that at least. It does seem like maybe they need one more clue to really make it a strong theory. Uh, like something in the room that would suggest that there's a presence outside. Uh, I guess you could say that because... Buffy saw the kid. That's that's kind of another hint. So I think that that's okay, kind of supporting yeah, it. Uh, yeah, uh, but I yeah. forget about that. She's got like, I think Giles uses the term astral projection, mm-hmm, but like yeah. she sees him wandering around. Yeah, I mean it's it's a bit of a jump to immediately go to oh everyone's nightmares are coming true as well. That's clearly what's happening. Even though as an audience member, that's clearly what's happening. Sure. So 
if you were in this episode, what nightmare would you see of yours? Oh, this is a tough one. My most terrifying nightmare would be really hard to pull off uh, in this form because my most terrifying nightmare was that I had killed someone about two or three years before and I was just living my life as normal, but knowing that I was a murderer. Holy crap, Mike! Getting dark over here! It was really dark. Holy shit! It was even darker when I woke up for about the, the first 30 minutes I was awake. I couldn't, I, was, I wasn't clear enough in my mind to remember if that was real or just a dream. <laughs> So I spent a good 30 minutes of my life thinking I was a murderer. Oh my god. I was like, no, that's a, that was a dream. That Buddy. was a dream. Yeah, yeah. So if they could find a way to make well, that a reality. Do you like a repeating dream? I, I've never had a recurring nightmare. What I think might, because it definitely stuck in my head, even though I've subsequently seen the movies this comes from, and they are not scary, but as a little kid, my first really big scary nightmare was from the trailer for Leprechaun 2. Uh, I was really freaked out by the leprechaun and had this dream that I was being chased through the halls of my elementary <laughs> school by the leprechaun. And it ended with me and uh, some elementary school girl. We were hiding in the top of a closet and the leprechaun just opened the door and the shelf we were on just falls and we're falling into the laughing leprechaun's hands and Holy face. Holy cow. So I think That's that intense. would probably be more likely. What would What would yours be? I have a series of dreams that Ooh. all entail needing to get out of town. Like one apocalyptic situation or another is happening. Okay. And the idea is pack a bag. We're running to like the middle of nowhere. We got to run to the country. We got to run to the suburbs and get out of the city. Mm-hmm. They vary. There's been zombies. Uh, there's been terrorist attacks. Ooh. There's been Red Dawn situations. We got a Red Dawn situation. But the most common one is dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the last thing I was expecting to hear. Oh my god. So many dinosaur dreams. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 that was really so funny. Uh, either a T Rex or a group of raptors, however. Um, <laughs> Whenever I wake up, we'll triceratops in there. Yeah. Whenever I wake up and tell my husband about it, he points out that I have my dreams have a very low budget <laughs> because when I have the raptor dreams, it's like the kitchen scene from Jurassic yeah. Park. They're on the other side of the door, and <laughs> you can see the door handle jiggle, jiggle, but you can't see the raptors. You just know that you just know it's raptors. They're going to open the door because they can figure it out. So you have to find a way out before they figure out that door. <laughs> And then what what happens with the T Rex? Is he is he is he like in another room just yelling at you? He, no, usually I'm like running down a street with okay. him chasing me. There was one time where he was in the sewers, <laughs> <laughs> so I was running around on the streets, but I knew that he was below me. Okay. And then he jumped up out of the sewer. <laughs> so teenage mutant ninja turtles must be terrifying for you. <laughs> Because they're basically like dinosaurs trapped in the sewer. I mean, the, the T-Rex is considerably larger. Okay. That, that is no, true. No, I had a crush on Mikey. Uh, he, and granted this is probably because he is my namesake. He was, okay, Leonardo was my least favorite, but he was my second least favorite Ninja Turtle. No, no, you're just wrong. But Donatello he, does machines. That's so cool. But Mikey was 
funny. He wasn't really He's that adorable. Funny. And he used nunchucks, which I feel like are the lamest ninja I weapon. I like the nunchucks. They're sticks tied together by a little piece of string. You couldn't use them. I couldn't use them. Those things are they, hard. That's because they're, they're a dumb weapon to use. I'm <laughs> sorry for any nunchuck fans out there in our audience. No, I'm, I'm pissing off the nunchuck lobby right now. <laughs> but <laughs> I feel like they're, they're a lame weapon. It's just... I, I like the simplicity of Donatello's bow staff. He's, you know, I don't need a fancy blade. I just can just hit you with a stick and I'll master you with that. I don't need to tie little sticks together. I think we need to start a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle podcast. <laughs> and get real in-depth on these issues. So things in Sunnydale will get worse before they get better. Buffy speaks to Billy. The club-handed man attacks them. They hide. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Cordy's hair frizzes out and she's forced <laughs> to join the chess team. <laughs> Which I love. Oh, uh, I love all the little side nightmares. Cordy's is great. I love the weird Fonzie fan club where it's all these tough guys in leather jackets. And then the one guy's mom comes and yeah. embarrasses him. And just little things you see in the background. The surgeon, his hands are all broken. Oh, that one was rough. Yeah. Willow is starring in a surprise opera, <laughs> which she doesn't know the words. This might also be oh, my nightmare. Man. Just at the singing. I don't mind acting. It's the yep. singing that's the problem. I do love that squeak she does. It is <laughs> adorable. <Yeah. laughs> my turn. Uh-huh. <laughs> Xander is led to an abandoned section of the school where he's attacked by a clown. This is okay, though, yep. because he actually confronts his fear mm-hmm. and punches the clown in the face. Go, Xander. Yeah. I, I, like I love his realization of like, this is stupid. I shouldn't be afraid of this clown and punches him. Although that is a scary clown and another really uh, nerdy detour. Something I just found out. You, as a clown, it's kind of a general rule that you never have points on your face. Yes. So in the makeup, and that's why, uh, well, it's not why, but it's one of the things that makes the John Wayne Gacy clown so scary is that he has is defined by points. If you look at pictures of John Wayne G- Gacy as it was, I think it was Pogo or Gogo, Poe something, whatever his clown alter ego was, his mouth comes to a severe point, and then his eyes are two triangles. Yeah. So he's, I mean, you can read a lot into that. And this clown in the episode has lots of weird points in his makeup, and his mouth kind of comes to a point on either side. So it's really extra creepy clown makeup. Yes. Buffy and Billy end up in a cemetery with the master. He tosses her in an open grave where she's buried alive. Are these things real or are these imaginary? Like later the master is back underground and Buffy's dad has no memories of breaking her emotionally. Did these people really do these things? That's what I feel like I wish they had clarified a little bit more. Because I feel like in the case of Buffy's dad, it should definitely not have been him. And he should have no memory of it. Because otherwise, their relationship is ruined forever. Right. Because, uh, A, he knows about magic stuff now. I mean, he still could have done it, but just have no memory. Yeah. Like, did, did the master come out from a, mm-hmm. from underground and then just get trapped there again? Yeah. That, I think, would have been a cool thing to explore. And I think probably time constraints more than anything, because they had a whole bunch to do in this episode. I think that would have been cool if this was a way for a master, the Master to get out early, because he's part of Buffy's nightmare. He gets to be let free early. But they're never really clear if it actually is the Master, or if it's a nightmare version of the Master. Right. Uh, which is a little unsatisfying, but he's still super creepy in it. He buries her with a nice, cool Evil Dead reference shot of the... Dirt falling on the coffin. That and was in very theory, now, this is the first time Buffy will be buried alive, mm-hmm. but not the last. No. So that fear comes true. Oi. Super creepy. God, I wonder if they thought about that season six. Because I definitely wasn't thinking about nightmares when... Yeah. Ooh, that is good. Yeah, that's that's neat. 
The gang finds Buffy's grave in the woods. This is Giles' nightmare, mm. which also comes true. It's so it like, and that is another really effective scene in this. I love Giles to death, and seeing Giles so sad and just disappointed in himself, and just everything is just drained out of him in a way when he sees Buffy's grave. Really effective scene for me. Uh, one of my favorites in the episode. Absolutely. He is amazing. Mm-hmm. This is where you really see, I think, that he's not just constantly annoyed at Buffy, mm-hmm. which he seems like he's constantly annoyed yeah. at her, but not because she's not being a perfect slayer, because he wants to protect her, wants mm-hmm. to give her the tools to protect herself. And also, you see that he really does care for her yeah. like a father. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which is another reason why the weird fanfic where they get together is Ew. super creepy. Ew. Um, Ew. Ew. But yeah, and I, I always get the sense, and maybe it's just me knowing the rest of his and her character arcs together, but I really feel like I've always gotten the sense that while he gets annoyed with Buffy, he really does have a strong affection for her, that he doesn't have as much for Willow or Xander, where like eventually they, they do become more friends as opposed to just like, oh, that's Buffy's friends. But I really feel a strong thing in the first season of he kind of tolerates Willow and Xander because they're Buffy's friends, but the only person he really personally cares about at the school and really in his life in general that we see is Buffy. I mean, I I would say that his relationship with Willow and Xander is more than just they're Buffy's friends. I think that's mm-hmm. more his attitude towards Cordelia mm. later on, but absolutely not to the level of he is a father figure to Buffy. No. Yeah. He loves her like family, like mm-hmm. a daughter. I think he loves Willow and Xander in a different way. Maybe like a niece and nephew. Maybe, maybe. And he he does directly tell Willow when she's going over all the bad things that could happen once they get out of the cemetery or they're leaving the cemetery. Do shut up. (laughs) Very British. Do shut up. Buffy rises from the grave, but as a vampire. (gasps) Awesome. They must hurry to wake Billy so that these nightmares can end. She fights Club Hendigai and knocks him out. Billy demasks the vampire, bringing everyone back to reality. I really, I like this finale. I love Buffy and the vampire makeup, which, crazy, this is the only time it ever happens in the whole series. Yeah, I've heard that Joss Whedon did a comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, starts with an F, I can't remember it now. Frey. Frey. Joss Whedon did a comic, comic called Frey that I okay. haven't read, but I heard in it they explore what would happen if a slayer were to be bit by a vampire and okay. made into one. Yeah. Which I should buy. Ooh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, it does sound neat, right? And that's one thing I want to address is in a lot of things I did looking up research on this episode, I feel like there are a lot of nitpicks that people put in books and online that I think should just be, guys, everybody's having their nightmares. Nightmares are not facts. Yeah. So when Buffy becomes a vampire, maybe she retains more of her humanity because it's a nightmare and she's not really turning into a vampire. Yeah. And like people have like, oh, well, Buffy's uh, uh, age is wrong on the tombstone. Maybe Giles doesn't remember her exact birthday offhand. They have gotten the birthday. That has been mixed wrong. up. Like, well, I don't even know what's right, but it's yeah. been different a couple yeah. of times. It's, yeah. it's very between 79 and 81, I think, are like, it's somewhere in that, in that gap. But I feel like if you're going to point out any of those as being errors, this is the dumbest one to do because yeah. it's, it's in a nightmare. And just the weird little things like that or 
there, there are other little ones I can't remember offhand where it's just, but it's a nightmare, guys. Yeah, she's going over to the hospital and technically it's the daytime and she's a vampire, but she's not really a vampire. And is it really daytime? Because they're all in a nightmare world. Yeah. I don't think that's a good nitpick to have. Oh, no. I, I mean, I think that's ridiculous. Yeah, I think, I think it's silly given the concept of this episode. In a really cute homage to The Wizard of Oz, when Billy wakes up, he says, I have the strangest dream. And you were there. And And you were there. And that was Uh, so cute. Adorable. One thing before they leave the hospital. So they have some line about how everything's going wrong. The nightmares are going to take over. And they look outside. There's a bunch of flying ants. Yeah, that's random, right? It was like so weird. It was like that. That was not set up. And I could. The T Rex, because that's as bad as things can get. So you've never had giant flying ants as your city No, because the T-Rex is as bad as you can get. <laughs> but it seems so weird that that's all that you see out there, and it's very specific, and there's no particular reason why we should think, oh, well, that's clearly flying the worst ant. thing. I wonder if one of the writers had flying ant drinks. Yeah, like, it was so weird. Like, and I, I thought it was going to be, for sure, when they did that, and they set up their looking through the window, oh, you're going to see a bunch of random stuff, and there's going to be fires everywhere. Yeah, there's a volcano in the background. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, nope, just flying ants. Just that's it. So Billy's Little League coach arrives, calling Billy Lucky 19. He blamed Billy for losing the game and beat him so badly, he put Billy into a coma. Yikes. This is heavy stuff. Yeah. Like, I don't even know what to say. And, and like, yeah. every time I watch this episode and he walks in the room, and I was like, this asshole. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do like how, how Xander kind of stops him so he has another kind of heroic moment. But then it does seem a little too neat and tidy that the next scene is just, well, good that he's in jail now. It seems like if you're bringing up this heavy thing, I don't know, have a little bit more of a realistic resolution where of course i think hopefully he should end up in jail but not just be it be like off screen like well that was all taken care of i mean i would say at this point it's kind of a given because buffy and her friends are there to protect billy billy's awake and remembers what happened Mm -hmm. and the very first thing he's going to do is tell the cops and tell his parents and then the next second they're going to arrest him i feel like even if it was like some weird newspaper headline which is a bit of a cliche but i feel like it doesn't feel as much like an ADR fix where it wasn't ADR, but it feels very quickly resolved off screen where they just say like, oh, and he was taken care of. Yeah. Where it does Almost to cover up a deleted scene or yeah, something. Yeah. Or yeah. Like, yeah. Or to, they doubt that it wasn't made clear in the last scene that, oh, this guy was going to be in trouble. I would almost really rather them just like somehow end that scene with the obvious thing of like maybe you know, a security guard from the hospital comes yeah. and, like, you just see, like, oh, they're taking care of it. Right, right. Buffy's dad arrives. The previous previous discussion was just a dream. She goes off to enjoy the weekend with him. It's Aww. a cute moment. Yeah. Again, I, I could have used a little bit more explanation of what people remember, what who was what in the dream. Yeah. But, I mean, overall, just like a nightmare or a dream, you don't get perfect explanations. Sometimes things don't quite add up but they make kind of dream logic they go you know through that kind of i don't even know what i'm saying anymore but sometimes the t-rex can be in the sewer even though it's not tall enough for him exactly that is exactly what (laughs) i am saying (laughs) oh that is that is quite an amazing thing to learn uh fear of dinosaurs dinosaur city uh jurassic world must be like the most scary i'm so excited for it the funniest thing i think is how much i love jurassic park 
I love it so much. And recently I was like joking with Chris about my vampire, or excuse me, my uh, dinosaur dreams. I was like, hey, mom, was I scared when Jurassic Park came out? And she's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm like, gosh, darn it. I just remember loving the heck of it. So would a vampire dinosaur be scarier? Fuck yes. Are you kidding me? Don't put that in my brain. Holy crap. What are you doing to me? Just a T-Rex with extra long fangs. Yeah. And he's very They're long enough. They're the size of you, buddy. Guess what? (laughs) That's scary. I think I have a couple uh, million years of leeway between me and dinosaurs, so I'm going to be... No, someone's going to bring them back in a Jurassic... They're going to get you. Watch out. Oh, no. The pterodactyls are flying out of the park. Uh, That was a reference to Jurassic Park 3. No, I got that one. (laughs) Trust me. (laughs) We can go toe-to-toe on Jurassic Park knowledge. I was just explaining for the uh, listeners who have more to do in their life than I do. I've seen that movie more than once. (laughs) So have I. Why did we do that? I don't know. I like William H. Macy. I don't know. True. So you have anything else to say about um, Nightmares? Well, just a couple like fun little Easter eggy things. If you look very carefully in Willow's locker as she opens it, there is the bottom half of a Nerf Herder sticker. Oh! Yeah, nice little uh, fun Easter egg you can find there. Oh, uh, one last thing. So, did you feel like Billy, the coma kid, looked a little bit like Joseph Gordon-Levitt? Like a young Joseph Gordon-Levitt? I could see that. I could see that. That's why in my notes, I refer to him as Joseph Gordon Unleavened. Because he's so little, it's like he hasn't aged up yet, so he's okay. unleavened. Okay. Joseph Gordon Unleavened is how he is in my notes. Okay. And then I guess the last thing is uh, International Title Roundup. Yes! That's the new theme, I guess. So let's uh, start with uh, Nightmares. Most of the international titles, really simple. Uh, in Portuguese and Finnish, it's just still Nightmares. In French, it's Billy. So they oh, focus okay. it just on that character, which is interesting. Also keeps kind of a oh, mystery up in yeah. the beginning. And then the German one, probably the weirdest one, The Power of Dreams. Uh, we're very literal. Yeah, we're, we're very literal and very forceful. In French, the puppet show is called uh, The Puppet or La Marionette. In Portuguese, it's The Puppet Show. Finnish, it's Puppet in Chains, which no. doesn't really happen. No. Nope. Uh, it sounds pretty cool. But you didn't watch the episode. No. But uh, one of the best titles, and definitely the best title of these two episodes in another language, is the German title for The Puppet Show, which is Buffy Let's the Puppet Dance. <laughs> oh, that sounds like a euphemism for something <laughs> terrible. Oh, they're going out back to smoke. <laughs> They're going oh, all, yes. back to let the puppet dance. Yes! <laughs> and that's one of those ones I, ha- I have to imagine. That must be like a German phrase. Because letting the puppet dance? That's let That has puppet. nothing to do with what happens in the episode. I Maybe it's their term for like using a puppet. For like yeah. puppetry in general. Yeah, and like that's just a turn of phrase that's, that's used in Germany of like... Yeah, instead of puppeteering, it's, oh, you're letting the puppet dance. Right. But <laughs> just the oh. idea of... Buffy lets the puppet dance. And just imagine the visual of Buffy, for some reason, up top, top on the catwalk of the stage and just being like, okay, Sid, you can dance. <laughs> the original ending of that episode. Now it's time to celebrate Buffy's badassery with this week's Slay of the Week. Uh, so for this Slay of the Week, 
kind of a, a low body count, at least for our heroes. But I think the one is pretty obvious for me is the slaying of, I guess, Morgan, the uh, magician demon, getting guillotined and then stabbed in the heart. Uh, I would go for more for the guillotine death, because as mentioned previously, the stabbing in the heart was a little lame. <laughs> so uh, that wasn't Morgan. It was the yes. magi- magician. What was the magician's name? I forget. I don't I forget know. side I character know. names. They're not real. He is not coming back. It's no. fine. Well, he's definitely not coming back. He's been decapitated. Exactly. And then his heart stabbed. Uh, uh, so my vote is actually for the demon slain Morgan. Oh. Even though it happens off camera, we never see it. The moment where Buffy finds Morgan's brain. <laughs> Super creepy. It's really gross. And the special effects are really good. Like, that thing has some heft to it. You mm-hmm. can tell it's heavy. Kind of jiggles. It jiggles when it in just the most disgusting mm-hmm. way. Well. I think that's, that's my g- most gross, <laughs> disgusting horror movie moment. Thank you for tuning in to the Sunnydale Stacks. Please like us on Facebook and Twitter at Sunnydale Stacks to ask us questions or share your own opinions and memories about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Subscribe on iTunes and join us next time when we dust off Out of Mind, Out of Sight, and Prophecy Girl when we get lost in the Sunnydale Stacks. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby.